We have made a list and checked it a time or two. On today's episode of The Byword, we are looking ahead to the new Ultimate Spider-Man title with our own wishes and worries about what will take place in the title that's so near and dear to our hearts. The Byword begins now. Welcome to episode 174 of the Nerd by Word, a show where we debate just who is Peter Parker's greatest nemesis, his editors or his fans. On today's episode, we will be looking ahead to the latest ultimate incarnation of that lovable doofus as we attempt to forecast for Jonathan Hickman and Marco Cicchetto's Ultimate Spider-Man set to release in January 2024. But first, we must talk... Dave, what's up? Uh, nothing good, it turns out. Um, uh, we're going to go into some touchy territory with uh, this week's news story regarding the uh, currently in production sequel to Scream. And we're talking about Scream 7 here, which uh, is supposed to be uh, you know, well on its way now that the writer and actor strikes have both been uh, resolved. However, uh, a new kerfuffle has emerged. Now, uh, a, a trigger warning to those of you listening. Uh, there is uh, going to be some uh, peripheral mention of the violence currently going on in uh, Gaza. Um, as a nerd podcast, I don't think it's really our place to, to comment on that. However, you know, it is involved peripherally in this news story. So please be aware. Uh, so the uh, kerfuffle going on with uh, Scream 7 began uh, with... Uh, Melissa Barrera, uh, one of the starring uh, actors in the more recent Scream sequels, uh, she uh, shared a, a open letter that was uh, signed by multiple uh, celebrities, including Joaquin Phoenix and Kate Blanchett. Um, and she posted on Instagram, we come together as artists and advocates, but most importantly, as human beings witnessing the devastating loss of lives and unfolding horrors in Palestine and Israel. Um, please join us in demanding that Congress, President of the United States and other world leaders call for an immediate de-escalation and ceasefire in Gaza and Israel before another life is lost. We must end the bombing of Gaza, secure the safe release of all hostages and demand adequate access for humanitar- humanitarian aid to reach the people that desperately need it. Um, she also posted uh, on Instagram, I too come from a colonized country. Palestine will be free. Uh, and Spyglass Entertainment, the company behind the production of uh, Scream, uh, viewed this particular post as anti-Semitic and removed her from the sequel. Uh, and they released a... Um, a statement Spyglass did uh, to the media. We have zero tolerance for anti-Semitism or the incitement of hate in any form, including false references to genocide, ethnic cleansing, Holocaust distortion, or anything that flagrantly crosses the line into hate speech. Um, so this uh, was obviously a big blow to the movie in particular because uh, Melissa Barrera is, for all intents and purposes, uh, the uh, heir apparent to Nev Campbell in the sequels and has been sort of the main character of the last uh, the, the last two Scream movies. Um, but uh, not done yet, as it turns out, uh, because not too long afterwards, uh, we got uh, an additional bit of news as a co-star in the most recent two screen movies, uh, Jenna Ortega, who plays 
Guerrero's sister in the last two Scream movies, is also not returning for Scream 7. And although there has been some speculation that this was uh, to show some kind of solidarity with Barrera, the actual official story is that she is not going to be able to return for the sequel due to uh, the shooting schedule of Netflix's Wednesday, which is going to be entering production on its second season. Um, so, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, throwing back and forth, uh, especially on social media of statements regarding the situation, um, reaction among horror movie fans has been, um, I would say, anecdotally from what I've seen uh, on social media, very much in favor of Barrera returning to the movie. Um, and there has been some talk about a potential Scream 7 boycott because of these actions. Um, Barrera, for her part, was quiet for a little while and then finally came out and released an official statement. Um, and uh, this is that. I will read that verbatim. First and foremost, I condemn anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. I condemn hate and prejudice of any kind against any group of people. As a Latina, a proud Mexicana, I feel the responsibility of having a platform that allows me the privilege of being heard, and therefore I have tried to use it to raise awareness about issues I care about and to lend my voice to those in need. Every person on this earth, regardless of religion, race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, or socioeconomic status, deserves equal human rights, dignity, and of course, freedom. I believe a group of people are not their leadership and that no governing body should be above criticism. And that was posted on Instagram. Uh, and as of recording, this is where we are standing with the Scream 7 movie. Apparently, it is still go. There is still work being done. Uh, there is talk of uh, going back to the drawing board and completely rewriting the script to remove both Barrera and Ortega's characters. And uh, finally, uh, there apparently are, uh, are feelers are being put out to see if Neff Campbell would be willing to return as original lead Sidney Prescott. Um, Campbell notably uh, did not return uh, in a substantial role or any role really for the most recent Scream 6. Um, kerfuffle around there, the, the sort of rumor mill was that she was not offered enough money and that the role was too really too small. It was basically a glorified cameo. Um, so where this movie goes from here is difficult to tell. Uh, if Campbell has any strong feelings regarding what happened to Barrera, she will probably refuse to return, um, which would make this movie probably a big reset. Uh, if she decides to return, it'll probably be a big nostalgia fest. Um, and what, what will ultimately happen on screen to the characters of, um, of Barrera and Ortega is difficult uh, to predict at this point. Um, one way or another, uh, there's a very strong reaction online about uh, about this movie right now uh, due to this controversy, um, and and there is a certain degree of disappointment. Uh, you know, taking all the other stuff out of the equation and just looking at the movie itself for a second, the last two Scream movies were actually quite good. Uh, Barrera and Ortega did a very good job, sort of carrying the franchise forward as sort of a next generation. Um, and I and I found the movies overall pretty enjoyable. Uh, as far as Scream movies are concerned. I think uh, Scream 6 actually was a nerd commendation a few months ago even. So uh, it's disappointing to see that these two characters and their story will not continue. Um, and let's wait and see uh, what that's going to do qualitatively uh, to the movie and if there is going to be any additional backlash either towards the actors or Spyglass for making this decision. 
Whew, that's something to kick to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very very lighthearted in my news story this week, Chris. If you if you follow me on social media, you I have I have made my thoughts very clear on on where I stand with um, the situation in Palestine and in Gaza. Um, and again, not to to sidetrack into a geopolitical podcast because I'm not qualified for that. We love world history and we love social studies, but I I'm hopelessly out of my league um, when it comes to that. However, you'd be hard pressed, Dave. I, I think we can call a spade a spade. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a more balanced and well written statement than what Barrera released. I thought that was incredibly thoughtful. I thought it was incredibly compassionate and for them on both statements, the before and the after, and for that to be labeled as anti-Semitic and hate speech is just like, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that we've lost the plot. Um, so I'll, I'll just keep it short and sweet, but uh, that that's all I have to say before we descend into something else that I'm not qualified to talk about. All right, let's talk about something else then. <laughs> what what's your news story this week, Chris? I feel a little bit more qualified to talk about this one. Um, so let's go from something super heavy to just Star Wars. Um, Dave Filoni uh, has been promoted to chief creative officer of Lucasfilm. What does that mean? He's going to work directly with Kathleen Kennedy and Carrie Beck to oversee the, and develop the next generation of Star Wars shows and movies. Um if you're a longtime fan of Star Wars, you know that Filoni was involved in the Clone Wars animated series, Star Wars Rebels, my personal happy place, and Nirvana in the realm of Star Wars. Uh, and then he's also been involved with the uh, Disney Plus series, um, Andor, Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ahsoka, and upcoming Skeleton Crew. Um, so as to what all of this means, it we, we don't know just yet, but... For me, in my personal opinion, I think this is a smart, logical choice to borrow from Star Trek and the Vulcanism. I think this is just like a logical step because you have someone who almost literally learned at the knee of George Lucas um, of, of what the Force means, of what the heart of Star Wars means. And then you don't, you know, sometimes you have to hand things down to the next generation and, and the prequels kind of showed that George Lucas had kind of lost his mojo. Um, and, uh, his fastball, if you, if you'll pardon a sports reference, but, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited where the direction of star Wars goes. Um, from here, I know that there's been a lot of hullabaloo online because it's star Wars. So of course it is. For for like the overall thing, I'm I'm a very macro person, and George, uh, excuse me, Dave Filoni in charge of things at Lucasfilm. That's just music to my ears. I think it's fair to say that um, a lot of stuff that was going on on the big screen with Star Wars suffered from a lack of uh, a vision, right? From a lack of a clear direction or plan. Um, and so, creating a trilogy without somebody to stand above it and kind of make sure that it's all. Um, every piece of the story is working towards the same end goal, I guess, um, created a really, really disjointed um, 
sequel trilogy. And so I think if they if they take this position seriously and they're really saying Filoni is like the, the great coordinator now, I think they desperately need that in the Star Wars franchise right now. There is, you know, since since George is not there, say what you will about George, but he his his word was the law. He was the be all end all, right? So you run it up to George. If George says yes, that's okay, it's okay. If George says no, that's not okay, it's not okay, right? And so at the very least, say what we will about the prequels, they did you know, it had a clear it vision. It did show it had a clear vision, right? And I think if the sequel trilogy would have had a clear vision, it would have been extremely well received across the board. But because of, and we've talked about this before, you know, J.J. Abrams came in and delivered a a very good Star Wars movie in The Force Awakens, right? And then you get a very different vision for that for that middle movie, and then you whiplash back. And, and there's all this reversal in the third movie to try to basically undo the second as a, like an apology tour to overly vocal online fans. You know, you, then you made you everybody mad. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so I think if, if Filoni's position is one where he gets to basically be the buck stops here guy and he gets to make sure that everything is working towards a unified goal and everything is, is, you know, moving narratively in the same direction and supports um, you know the 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 goal or the storytelling beats that are coming up. Then this is a, an incredibly smart move. I like I like Filoni's work generally speaking. The Clone Wars and I never really got along that well, um, because it, I guess it jumps around a lot, and because um, I just I had issues back then just with the prequel trilogy in general. And I feel like I need to kind of go back and at the very least look at some of the episodes that are you know critically and 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 fan favorites. Um, because there's supposed to be some good stuff in there, but I struggled with the Clone Wars a great deal. I like Rebels a lot. Um, I watched the first season and I really, really liked it. Um, and I do, and I do think I need to finish that, especially now watching Ahsoka, because you know, as we discussed Ahsoka uh, during the last episode for our your nerd commendation, it it's the most Star Wars Star Wars that has Star Wars in many years. You know, it just it feels like Star Wars. It has a that that unique tone that almost lines up perfectly with like the original trilogy which i think is what a lot of fans are looking for ultimately you know they're just looking for that that star wars feel that they had watching the original trilogy and ahsoka got closest so if that's feloni's take on star wars then i'm and i then i wholeheartedly welcome him this position i think it's a great idea yeah i'm as i i personally i feel that the book of boba fett is overhated there's a lot of stuff that I liked in there. Again, I'm a very macro person. I'm not a nitpicker. I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm willing to overlook this error or that error because does it have the heart of Star Wars? The thing that made us fall in love with Star Wars when we were kids growing up with the original trilogy. And you want to talk about if you do your homework, the original trilogy uh, trilogy didn't really have a plan because I mean, like it was uncharted territory. They were making it up as they went along. Uh, but um, they did it well, which which is not what they, I can say for the sequel it, trilogy. They did it. They did it well. But here's 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 the thing: that is not an enviable position to be in. So why the sequel trilogy chose to go that route is just mind boggling. Because as as you said, say what you will about the prequels, it had a clear plan. It took you from A to B, baby Anakin, Darth Vader Anakin, clear delineation, boom 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 boom, but. So overhating, in my opinion, on the Book of Boba Fett aside, I feel a real positive trajectory with Star Wars as a whole. I'm excited about Star Wars content. I've enjoyed everything 
since Mando launched way back when. So I'm I'm feeling really positive about this and, and where we're headed. Yeah, I am too. I think this is this is just a smart idea. All right, from one problematic fandom to another. When we come back from our first break, we're going to talk Ultimate Spider-Man. All right, welcome to the main segment of our show. The reason we are gathered here today, dearly beloved. It is our byword. And as special as the first Ultimate Spider-Man was to Dave and myself, it was the one that called Dave back to comics. It was his beckoning call. It was the one that really made me fall in love with the medium of comic books. Um, as as a new reader, um, I felt it was really, really important to kind of take a look at what this, I guess we can call this a second volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, Marco Cicchetto, um are going to be releasing here in January of 2024. So we have two wishes each and two worries or warnings uh, as we forecast ahead because we're nothing if we're not perfectly balanced as all things should be. Um, so Dave, the first wish that you want, um, and I could have written this in the document for you if you wanted me to. Yeah, so uh, it's it's no secret that, you know, we, we're... Um... You know, aging, aging white guys. We're right? men, of, I mean, men, men of a certain age, white, white men of a certain age, white men of a certain age. Um, we, we, we are the men that, you know, Brie Larson said, don't always have to give comment on everything, but she doesn't hate us. And I appreciate that, Brie, because I'm a big fan. Um, but uh, that, that being said, I don't think it is a secret um, that the comic book audience has aged a lot, right? Um, not great at necessarily capturing um, young readers, especially at the big two. And consequently, over the last few decades, you see that uh, storytelling has shifted older too, right? There's a lot more mature stuff going on in mainline superhero books than may have happened in the past. Yet, there are certain characters that just, for some reason, editorial refuses to allow them to, to age, they are still chasing, I guess, the, the youth demographic somehow with, with those characters rather than, I guess, aging them a little bit along with the aging audience. What's, but um, what's funny, that, what, what I've noticed, what's funny about that is uh, some of the vocal fandom that is against that is very young. Isn't that weird, though? It is. Yeah, it's very odd. Yeah. So Spider-Man, as we have said many times, is is certainly um, one of those characters. Uh, Spidey Peter has has sort of you know Peter Pan syndrome, in that any time that a, um, a a writer and artist team get to progress him in any way or do something a little different with him, much like you know much in superhero comics, everything gets reset, right? But going all the way back to the 90s and the Clone Saga, the thing that Marvel has been most strongly trying to reset with Pete has been any sense that he has matured or aged. And the most, you know, visually arresting part of that and the most obvious story element that showed that he has aged and progressed was always 
you know, the fact that he was married to Mary Jane Watson. And so even the kerfuffle and mess of the clone saga was essentially an attempt to, to sort of de-age Peter and, and get rid of the marriage in a way to make sure that you have this, this young, single, swinging Pete, right? And, you know, that's, that's their prerogative. I will say as a reader and a man of a certain age <laughs> who's cruising very quickly for his 40th birthday, um, the stories that have, you know, resonated most with me in, in more recent years in my Spider-Man reading are the ones where Pete is dealing with more adult responsibilities, including, you know, having a, a sort of a grown-up, uh, mature relationship with another human being, you know, in, in this case, Mary Jane Watson, for the most part. I think that is why the Straczynski run in particular, huge portions of that resonated so strongly, strongly with me. Instead of being, you know, this freelance photographer that gets to make his own schedule and, you know, uh, he he takes on you know some responsibility, which is very natural for a character like Peter Parker, I think. And he works as a science teacher at his old high school and is trying to connect with with kids and using his private life and his public persona, Peter Parker, to also try to help others. Um, and yeah, Straczynski had a very very solid take on what a married Spider-Man Peter Parker life looks like. Very different from you know. Tart McFarlane and all the lingerie always, right? Or, um, <laughs> you know, Todd, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's 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 pretty rough. Um, you know, it's a very. I thought you said case. I thought you said tart, and then I just rolled with it. I'm like, yeah, tart. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, it's pretty rough, right? And it's very a very unrealistic view of what a, what a a marriage actually you know looks like for the most part. Uh, but but Straczynski kind of you know Speak really hit up. <laughs> so your so your marriage is all Playboy Channel all the time is what you're saying. <laughs> I think this is going to be what's going to go on in the next Nerd by Word T-shirt. My marriage is the Playboy Channel all day every day. Um, so. Uh, I, I really like Straczynski's take. I, th- I think is a is a sort of long way around. And then, of course, his take famously ended in One More Day and the erasure of the marriage, bringing back a whole bunch of nostalgia stuff, including you know bringing bringing Harry Osborn back from the dead and and making Peter you know visually younger, acting younger, uh, you know, and 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 a lot of the progress I guess that the characters made was sort of erased. And so since then, it's been a bigger struggle for me to connect, I think, with, with that character because there was a version of, of Peter Parker that resonated with me and he was gone, right? And so that's a very long way of saying, basically, that the thing that has me probably the most excited and the thing that I wish for the strongest in Ultimate Spider-Man is just that they really lean into the fact that he is older, that he's coming to the superhero game you know, more as a middle-aged guy, not as a teenager. That that means that it's going to be a very different experience. That he has he has a wife and kids at home, and how that has, how does that color you know his actions when he's out there as Spider Man, and you know what does that do to his family? And I'm not looking very specifically for them to go, okay, Peter Parker is married and has two kids, and then he becomes Spider Man. His life goes to heck, and his wife leaves him like that. I'm not interested 
in in playing that game if that makes sense i'm not saying that there shouldn't be drama right because every relationship has ups and downs and there should definitely be those and there's definitely a question of why are you out there in tights swinging from rooftop to rooftop when you have two kids at home i think those are all legitimate questions that should be explored i'm just not interested in them starting from a place of you know pete is older and married and then telling stories that try to either A, remove the marriage as quickly as possible, or B, ignore the fact that he is also a man of a certain age and that that kind of Spider-Man should act and look in a lot of ways very different from 16-year-old Peter Parker running around in the previous volume of Ultimate Spider-Man, right? Well, 15. He started at 15. So I guess my greatest wish here is lean into the, the family situation, lean into his age, because that is the thing that is going to create different stories and new stories and stories that can't be told in the 616 version of Amazing Spider-Man, given editorials aversion to progress, I guess is the best way to put it. So lean into it. That's that's really what I'm hoping for. This is a great setup. Lean into it. And And on that point, I think we have to really point out just the masterful artwork that we've seen from Marco Cicchetto and like probably even as much as I love Jonathan Hickman more on that in a second like the art alone has me tapped in like I'm I'm here for it uh that professorial like he looks like he's an adjunct professor at, at at Empire State University like they've got like everything but like the tweed jacket with the elbow patches like and like a like a corncob pipe like yeah, it's, it's I'm I'm so here for it, but 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 yeah, uh, I'm 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 really interested to see how they navigate this. I don't just want like the one more day of it all, or not one more day. Excuse me, uh, renew your vows. Like that was fun and it was cute as a mini, but like the whole like the whole family's a superhero. That's that's not what we're what we need here, and and, and I would put money in Vegas that we're not going to get. Yeah, you know, I, th- th- my first reaction is uh, Peter Parker looks great with a beard, and my second reaction is you can't tell me that that beard is not going to age, uh, it's not going to itch like crap underneath that that full face mask. Like that is going to be the itchiest situation when he starts throwing punches and starts sweating under that mask. I swear that beard is going to be a serious issue. <laughs> we'll see if it survives. <laughs> All right, Chris, what's first on your wish list for Ultimate Spider Man? Listen, as I said, I'm a big Jonathan Hickman fan. I've read almost everything that he's done at Marvel. Um, I haven't tried East of West. I was completely lost after that first issue, but I'll I'll probably try it again. Um, I like how he shakes the table. I want him to shake the table uh, with this. I don't want it to just be like ho-hum status quo. This is a Spider-Man book, and so this is what will happen. Like, I don't particularly care for the Fantastic Four most of the time. Uh, particularly Reed Richards, like he's, I can't stand him most of the time, but like that was one of the greatest reading experiences, reading his Fantastic Four. Um, one of the the speeches that he gave to these scientists that were like uh, kind of aging out and, and Reed gave his resignation was circling a while back. And so whether it's a speech, whether it's something like Krakoa and completely just repositioning everything in the surrounding universe i'm really interested to see because he's also writing the ultimate universe and like this is his baby this is his playground so i'm ready for some serious stuff to happen and shake the table 
yeah you know and and i think that that's gonna go into uh one of my worries warnings here in a little bit but i totally agree um i i think there has to be definitely uh something something new here right otherwise it's just a retread so i totally agree with you let let him let let the man shake the table i mean we're already getting uh power rangers green goblin so (laughs) (laughs) all right so i'm interested to uh to dive into your second uh wish dave yeah, so this this is going to sound weird, but I don't want the characters to be substantially different people at their core in the series, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I'm I'm all about this being a very very different take on Spider Man, and I really like this idea. Right? Um, let's let's do something completely different with the character. He's older. It's he's married, what, he it's, what kids, drew us, it's what It's what drew us to Ultimate Spider Man the first time. Yeah. So what what matters i think the most is that at their core at his core for example peter parker should be peter parker right we should not let's say now okay uh he never got bitten by a spider and because of that he doesn't believe that with great power comes great responsibility and so he's a total jerk like i'm not here for for you know jerk peter parker right um i'm not here for you know nagging wife mary jane you know like i i want these characters at their core to be the same i i liken it a, a little bit to what we got out of um j jonah jameson in the in the original ultimate spider-man run my favorite i think one of my was, favorite things about that entire book easily because at his core he is still a blowhard you know and he is still a pushy jerk that you know most people that work with him on the surface just don't like right but then you get to the to you get deeper right and you see you know he he means well right he's not a bad guy he's just a he's a blowhard right and so there's so many layers of complexity in in kind of revealing those sides of of j jonah jameson and yes they've they've tried to do some of that now in the 6162 uh you know with him knowing peter parker's secret and trying to help him and everything and that's all interesting but at at his core j jonah jameson is going to j jonah jameson if that makes sense right and so that is what I'm looking for from this series. The things that should make it different should be situational, right? The situation is different. Parker's older. He got bitten later in life. You know, different villains come along. And, you know, for the first fights with villains are different. But at, at his core, I want Pete to be Pete, if that makes sense. Um, so please, you know, t- tell great Peter Parker stories as in Peter Parker is an older guy here and he doesn't have all this experience and he's trying to figure out how to be Spider-Man. Great setup. But at his core, he should still be the power and responsibility guy. You know, at his core, he's still the guy who wants to help others. At his core, he needs to be Peter Parker. And and let all the stuff around him that's affecting him be new and different. But but Pete should be Pete, if that makes sense. Because otherwise, why tell us uh, an ultimate Spider-Man story where Peter Parker is Spider-Man if he's not going to be Peter Parker? You know, then then you should have just had a completely different character. So that's what I'm hoping for, That just that Pete is Pete. Yeah, and that's what I'm interested to see because we talked about this with the Ultimate Universe number one is like, I never found myself rooting for a Tony Stark character <laughs> like as someone who like doesn't value money or riches or doesn't idolize billionaires simply because of what they were gifted. I never would have had it on my bingo card that I'd be rooting for a character like Tony Stark. And so like that's a it, that's a marked difference in character, but I'm not mad at it. So I'm interested to see how they do it here and I think I think the age difference like can be such 
such a smart storytelling device. Because I'm going to be honest with you, Chris, if you don't mind me interjecting for yeah. a second, I don't think that I don't think Tony Stark is that different of a character. I think here too, I think it's really the age difference that's making the difference. I think Tony, even in the comics, at his core, is is a is a pretty idealistic guy he's just got all this cynicism you know layered in, on in my defense i don't all... read a whole lot of tony <laughs> yeah so i i think what you're seeing here is just is just a tony stark who's so much younger and because of that so much freer from the cynicism and maybe we'll get hopefully we'll get the we'll get the inverse of that typically yeah. young peter parker we get uh, an aged um peter parker and i think i think that'd be a really good storytelling device if they if they if they nail it here because i i'm thinking personally and you know peter parker is one of those everyman characters where you can easily envision yourself in him anybody could be under the mask you know yeah so um i think about what i would have been at like at 16 you know with sudden influx of powers and versus how i would be now i'm, I'm probably close to that age 35 um that that he's going to be in the story he's probably somewhere in between our ages and so like how different i would be if i had sudden influx of powers now and so you know with kids and everything all of that entails so um i'm I'm really interested to see how it goes and um i think the best alt universe if you want to label it as that kind of stories take those core elements and then just put like a twist. It's almost like, you know, I like to cook. So I, you could take the same ingredients, but how are you going to shake it up? How are you going to make it different than somebody else's dish? How are you going to make yours stand out? Uh, if you have a chili cook-off, why is yours going to win? Yeah, um, totally. So what is your uh, next, uh, so your second wish for Ultimate Spider-Man, Chris? And we've kind of kicked this idea around and, and, and a lot of our points are similar um but i want something new like i said i don't want just renew your vows uh redux like i i want something completely different um i want something that is going to be completely new like i I don't want just a redux of the first ultimate spider-man and so that's why you know something like the age difference is is kind of enticing and exciting so I'm, i'm ready for for new stories i'm ready for casting off the shackles of Marvel editorial, Spider-Man editorial, and just being able to completely tell something new and exciting. And like, I, I just want that feeling of when I picked up Amazing Spider-Man for the first time and kind of binge read it over an entire winter break. Like I want that kind of newness and excitedness here. Yeah. And I think that's going to tie to a certain extent into one of my worries and warnings, but, but yeah, I mean, let, let's just, you know, unshackle ourselves a little bit from the 616. This is a completely different universe and and, and try some new stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you there. All right. Now we uh, head to the worries or warnings or trepidations segment of this. Um, Dave, yeah, this, this would be the top of my list if you didn't lay claim to it. Yeah. So... Um, you give Peter Parker a wife and two kids, and then immediately fandom is going to start speculating of who's who's going to bite the dust to inspire him to become Spider-Man, right? And I'm just going to go ahead and say it: like I, I I have absolutely no interest in in dead children stories in my superhero comics. Like every time that it's been done, 
I hated it. I hated it when they did it in Aquaman back in the day, you know, a lot. Um, I hated when when they did it with uh, with Roy Harper, you know, and and, and his his kid. I, I hated that too. Like I'm just not here for that, right? And I think they've already built in, um, let's say, a trigger to get him, you know, Peter concerned about going out there and trying to help people, and that is. That in this, in this, you know, a, a massive attack that is being blamed on Tony Stark in universe. You know, if you look through the list of uh, people that are presumed dead, May Parker's on the list, right? So Aunt Aunt May is is apparently a goner. I think that is plenty for his quote unquote Uncle Ben moment here, his canon event, if you will, right? Like I have just have no interest in in them, you know, going after the kids and and saying that, you know, he needs to go through some kind of familial tragedy like that to and remove one or both of the kids from the board um as a way of inspiring him to be Spider-Man. First, because I don't think tragedy always needs to be the reason somebody in, in comics decides to be a superhero. I think I think that should be obvious, right? Um, and two, because I think the kids are, are a feature, right? Not a bug. <laughs> I mean, that's that's sort of the point. This is a different take on, on Peter Parker's journey as Spider-Man, and he has children in this one. And so that is one of the things that makes it different. So then going in and, and in the first few issues, like, you know, getting rid of one of the kids or or both of them is is sort of contrary to what I feel is sort of the mission statement of this of this book, which is, you know, tell a different version of of Spider-Man's story with an older Peter Parker who didn't grow up being a superhero, basically. And so just leave the kids alone. That's all I'm asking. I'm worried. Um, I don't think Hickman is going to go there. I think it seems really cheap, and he doesn't strike me as a cheap writer. Um, But, uh, you know, fandom being what it is, I just feel like I need to say, leave the kids alone. Just just leave them alone. Hey, leave those kids alone. Uh... (laughs) yeah i'm not here for like the torture porn of it all like i i think i think introducing children just to make them cannon fodder is an incredibly gross thing to do and i i don't think it will happen i certainly hope not um i think we've talked about this a couple of times but i think that um superhero comics have a real problem with seeing children not not just long-term committed relationships, but um, seeing children as a hindrance and as like an albatross. And so I'm hoping that this kind of shifts that paradigm and in, in the addition to of children into the story are an addition storytelling wise. Isn't that like the saddest thing? It just, it just depresses me so much that people keep thinking that having a situation that is somehow different is automatically a hindrance, right? I have to think of, of Bendis coming over to Superman, and one of the first things he does is he, he ages up John Kent. Why? You know, get him out of the way, right? And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? John Kent is like a, a great character. His friendship with Damien is awesome. And although I like some of the stories that have been told with the character since to age up, I don't think he's ever really recovered Right, a, a older John Kent misses a lot of that spark of the of the younger John, um, and now we're in an era of Superman where you know they're leaning into the idea of this extended Superman family, and everybody's hanging out anyways. And it would have been really cool to have young John Kent in the mix in that, right? But now he's just kind of there and seems to be pretty directionless. So thanks, Bendis. You know, 
how about you just play with the toys that are in the box and don't just you know break the ones you don't like? I mean, <laughs> just don't understand that. So yeah, uh, I think the kids, especially if written well, are going to be the, uh, a really big part of what makes this book unique. All right, uh, what is your first uh, worry or warning, Chris? I think one of my one of my trepidations is just all of the disingenuous spider fans that are all of a sudden excited again because it's a backlash against what's happening in amazing um and i hope and and hickman doesn't strike me as this type of writer um and don't just give in to the spoiled children and there's a lot of people on social media that are coming across as the kid that falls on the floor and starts kicking and screaming because they don't get a chocolate bar at the grocery store that's what a lot of spider-man fans are and so i hope that this is not just okay let him be married now shut up please and let me tell the story so i'm hoping that this is not just giving in to the worst segments of the fandom a la the rise of skywalker and then now everybody's mad now i i would not picture jonathan hickman and marco Cicchetto as like people who would do those types of things but also be prepared uh fandom that that shaking the table is probably going to happen <laughs> so yeah just i'm so i'm so over spider-man fans to be honest like I'm, I'm so done with it and uh here's hoping that they can just go away <laughs> You and I fall oftentimes on sort of opposite ends of what's going on with with Amazing Spider-Man in this most recent run. Um, I like to think that I'm not a spoiled brat about it, at least. Um, and my and my critique definitely is not just they're not married. Um, I, I've made it clear that that's my preference, um, and that you know I've I've kind of explained that at the top of the episode a little bit, right? But I think that there are like as a as a writer myself i feel like there are underlying things happening with this run that are really difficult to justify um very odd dead ends in the storytelling very strange decisions and i get the feeling sometimes and i may be very wrong here but i get the feeling sometimes there's a lot of editorial interference on this book um because it doesn't it doesn't feel it almost feels like the sequel trilogy. Like it feels like there is cohesion missing. Like it's set out to do one thing and then the goalpost keeps getting moved by editorial in some way. Things just keep shifting a lot where they're very inconsistent and oftentimes don't make sense if that, if, if, if that makes sense, right? And I feel like a deep dive in into the current Amazing Spider-Man run, once it concludes, is going to be very, very interesting. Um, because when you're reading it just month to month, um, those things are not always necessarily super apparent but i kind of like i kind of like binged a chunk of it and then i stopped and then i binged a chunk of it and then i stopped and when you see like a whole bunch of issues sort of in one sitting then it, it these these really odd inconsistencies become apparent and i just i just don't i i have a problem with it man um i i think that it, this run could have been a heck of a lot smoother and better, and I'm not sure what's happening. The only real explanation I have is what's is that, that that editorial is mucking about, you know, with what the writer, the story the writer's trying to tell. Um, 
So I'm not one of those fans that sits there and whines about the marriage constantly. It is my preferred status quo, I will admit. Um, but I will I will read a good Spider-Man story where he's not married too. Don't you know, get me wrong. I, I still you know I still write for the first volume of Ultimate Spider-Man, and even though I like an older Peter Parker better, he's you know 15 years old and that run and decidedly not married. Thank God, by the way. So um, you know you tell a good story, I'll be there, you know, whether it's my preferred status quo or not. Um, but I think there's definitely. Uh, entitled brat system uh, a syndrome going on in a huge chunk of of the Spider-Man fandom, and I think it it sometimes pays to remember as a fan that you are not the creative in charge of telling the story, and a story is not required to go the way you want. You know, I mean, it's just that simple. The 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 artists in question, the writers, the, the pencilers, the inkers, the colorists, and so on and so forth, they're the ones telling the story. And and you are free to, to like it or not, but the story does not owe you to be what you want it to be. If you want if you want to tell your own story, go out there and do that. Um, but this is their story. Uh, you're free not to like it, but you are not free to force them to tell the story that you want them to tell. That's one of the reasons why the rise of Skywalker is so difficult for me to sit through because it's so very much a, you know, we're going to give the fans what they want. And it did not lead to anything particularly good there is what it comes down to. So I know kick back, relax and enjoy the ride. And if you don't like the ride, get off of it. It's that simple, but, but you're not entitled to have storytellers tell the story you want them to tell. Yeah. It's been a long held position for me that I'm, I'm going to just take my food where I can get it and enjoy whatever I can out of Marvel comics uh, in spite of editorial. Um, When you're editor in chief, the head honcho, the big boss has his greatest claim to fame is masquerading as a Japanese man. (laughs) What are you going to do? And that same man comes out at a convention and says, seeing Peter Parker as a long-term committed relationship is just not relatable. What? So, yeah. So, for me, it's hashtag free Zeb Wells. I'm really enjoying this run in spite of all of those very clear editorial oversights. I am not beholden to Peter Parker being... Romantic, romantically entangled with one person or another. I just want to read good stories. And uh, there's been some fun stuff along the way, but you can, it's, it's very clear, very, very clear, the entanglement of editorial. And I say this as an X-Men fan who just had the entire rug swept out from under them. And now we are back to persecution and genocide and genocidal apologists in Orcus and like, that's the new status quo. So it's, it's, it's a tough time right now, but I'm just going to take my uh, enjoyment where I can get it. Uh, Dave, I'm wholeheartedly uh, second your second worry or warning. So it's no secret that the first uh, volume of ultimate Spider-Man was basically a retelling, right? I mean, it was, it was the greatest hits. It was, hey, this is, you know, this version of Spider-Man getting his powers. This is this version of Uncle Ben dying. This is this version of Norman Osborn becoming the Green Goblin. 
this is this version of the clone saga. This is our version of the night Gwen Stacy died and so on and so forth. Um, and it was good for that, right? These were stories that had not been looked at uh, by a modern audience at that point. Um, so, you know, go for it. However, I think at this point, if we're going to do Ultimate Spider-Man again, we don't need another Greatest Hits volume, right? I don't need to <clears throat> have a uh, story that does its own take on all these various seminal moments in Spider-Man's life and instead goes just a completely different direction. For one, it's going to be much more unpredictable and therefore more interesting and suspenseful and, and fun to read. And you're not constantly looking for, hey, is this a reference to this other story over here? Um, and f and for another, it's just been done. Like we've done the greatest hits now. Let's go ahead and do something completely different. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man should this time around not be uh, a greatest hits retelling. It just should be something, a completely different animal, Chris. And now for something completely different. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm looking for here. Something completely different. You want some Mighty Python? No. Um... Always. <laughs> I bet you didn't expect me to interject that there, did you? No, I was. I, I'm always hoping for a Monty Python reference. Um, no, I I totally agree, and I don't think I honestly don't think this is going to happen because something just dawned on me as you were saying that is like the expedited storytelling of this. We have like a year until the makers released or something like that. It's it's been like a month or two since I read the ultimate stuff, but like, don't we have like a year? like timeline that's kind of like going to expedite all this. I think so. There's a limited amount of time that uh, the maker is going to be locked in to that's that like, uh, yes. bubble. Right. From and so they have Richards. until, uh, yeah. Yeah. So they're going to have only so long to basically get all these heroes ready to take him down. Once that thing reopens, basically is the idea, I think. So, um, there's definitely a ticking clock element, at least for the first major story arc. If it's successful, I can see them obviously moving you know, beyond that. But yeah, there's a ticking clock involved here. All right, Chris, that brings us to your uh, final worry or warning. Um, I don't think it'll happen, but just just to have it stated somewhere on a podcast, I, I, I'm good with uh, Spider and Multiverse. Like We're good. I think we are. we've reached that saturation point we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, when it comes to multiversal stuff, um, if you believe those quote unquote insiders, they're moving away from Kang in the MCU. Um, not for nothing, the Jonathan majors of it all. Um, but I, th I think we're good. I think you already have, um, Dave, how did, how is this not a new story? We have spider Men written by Greg Weissman. Like, so I'm super excited for that. Like, I we don't need a whole bunch of, he's a spider, you're a spider, she's a spider. Uh, I don't, I, I think it would be kind of out of, I think it would just be out of place here in this, this storytelling. I think, I keep coming back to the fact that Hickman is writing this and Ultimate Universe. So I think there's going to be an interconnected thing because I've read Jonathan Hickman before. His Secret Warriors leads to his Fantastic Four, which leads to his Avengers and his new Avengers, and then to Secret Wars. So everything is interconnected. And I I don't think we're teaching an old dog new tricks here. I think it's going to be very interconnected. And so just randomly having other spiders pop up is going to be stupid. Yeah, so um, I... <laughs> 
I agree. Uh, I, I'm not one to throw around the term fatigue very often, but I think the whole multiverse thing has been very well exposed in both comics and extended media at this point. And not everything has to be a multiverse story, I guess. Um, I also don't think there'd be any real benefit for, for example, 616 Peter to meet uh, this version of Peter Parker, right? Um, because, like, for example, the when Bendis did Spider-Man where 616 Peter meets Miles Morales for the first time, you know, they're two very different characters at two very different points in their development. And so them bouncing off of each other like that was really interesting. But what kind of bouncing off would you get between these two versions? Hey, you're married to Mary Jane and have two kids? I don't mope. And that's that, right? Because we know it's not going to lead to any change over in the 616 series. Um, so I don't think there's like even really a purpose to that. Plus, um, the, we've talked about this before too, but but multiverse stories or alt- alternate uh, timeline stories really only work when um, you know the, the baseline is very well established. And this new ultimate line is so new, we haven't even gotten a sense for who this Peter Parker is yet. So what would be the point in him bouncing off of other versions of Spider-Man already, you know? Um, so I, I agree, there does not need to be any kind of multiversal incursion here. Let's just go ahead and let them do their thing and and tell some you know stories contained in this universe before we worry about any kind of crossovers. All right, that wraps up our wishes and warnings or worries for Ultimate Spider-Man. Any final thoughts, Dave, before um, we wrap up here? I continue to be extremely excited for this book. I didn't think I was going to be. I, I was very lukewarm on the Ultimate Invasion stuff at the beginning. And then when it finally clicked with me, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to say this, I have not, bought physical comic books in a very long time for the most part i use like dc universe infinite and, and marvel unlimited and all that kind of stuff comicsology and i've just been kindle very, now very digital. kindle now how, do, how is that not a news story <laughs> well maybe next week i just it's, it just breaks my heart man is what it does um but uh, i'm actually going to go to a comic book shop and i'm going to i'm going to you know pull this book like i'm actually going to get it physically i'm i'm that excited about it and for me to get off my lazy butt and go into a comic book shop again is is kind of revolutionary after all these years so i'm 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 here for it uh i'm i'm very much looking forward to this and i hope i hope it is everything everything that we hope it is I, I actually might do the same thing. And I know that's blasphemous. <laughs> Me and physical media and just like, I don't know, I've just put it in my bookshelf with my other stuff. But yeah, I think this is going to be something like th- between this and Immortal Thor, like these, this is the most I've looked forward to a title releasing uh, in a long time at Marvel because of all of the stuff that i've previously mentioned with editorial and everything so yeah i'm super hyped for this i'm i'm excited for and and hickman is the type of writer the the gravitas that he wouldn't be beholden to the the likes of my marvel or even more so spider editorial so I'm, i'm ready for someone who is not chained to idiotic things like that and and just let him cook like you don't you don't go up to a world class chef and be like, listen, we need you to not do this and not do that, and you can only use these ingredients and like just shut up and let them cook. I'm here for it, man. Let's just do this. I just can't wait to read this first issue. All right, when we come back from our final break, two more nerd commendations. 
All right, welcome back to our final segment where we share things that we love with you that you should absolutely check out. We call it... All right, Dave, you gave me a lovely uh, essay in, via text message about this, uh, and I didn't understand any of it, but uh, go off. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm going to get you to watch some actual Doctor Who one of these days. Well, you, um, tried, with, you tried with Buffy, and uh, it has stopped again. I didn't even get it through one episode when I... Uh... Shame. Shame. Anyways, uh, my nerd commendation this week is uh, Doctor Who, specifically a new era of Doctor Who that is just now getting underway. As of recording, I have just watched the first of three Doctor Who specials um, that are going to be airing this year, leading into a new Doctor and a new series uh, coming uh, next year. And so, you know, I, I have I have thoughts, um, a, a lot of them, uh, but the short of it is, is that it's a good time to be a Doctor Who fan for many, many, many reasons. Uh, the first is uh, that Russell T. Davies is back, um, who was the showrunner uh, through the uh, Eccleston um, and Tennant eras in the past, and is uh, has a very, very strong grasp of what makes Doctor Who Doctor Who, I guess is the best way to put it. And uh, and I'm admit there's a certain amount of nostalgia in me for that era of Doctor Who, um, and there is a little bit of nostalgia involved in these specials, as it does have uh, David Tennant returning for these three specials, playing a, a a new version of the Doctor that for some reason regenerated and has the same face as a previous version, and there's a mystery there that is unfolding through the three specials, and I'm very interested to see where all that's going, having only seen the first right now. Um, so it is rooted somewhat in the past, but you can also feel uh, a, a vibe of moving forward here. Um, you know, chess pieces being moving, moved around, so to speak. Uh, it's actually really cool because it, it's a new era for Doctor Who, not just in that there's a, a, a showrunner from the past returning to steer you know the ship into uncharted waters, but also that um, basically the BBC has entered a... Uh, global distribution deal with Disney. So uh, Doctor Who is now available to stream on, on Disney Plus. These new uh, specials and the new series are going to be. But it's not just a, uh, a, a broadcast rights situation. It appears that uh, Disney's coffers have also been opened and they're helping to co-finance Doctor Who. Now, for those of you who have never seen Doctor Who, let me just say that Doctor Who is a story... Uh, Doctor Who has been a series, let's put it this way, that has always had ideas far beyond its budgetary constraints. I think that's the best way to put it. And so the show has a uh, a reputation of sort of dodgy SIDS and 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 you know rubbery, strange alien costumes, and and that is part of its charm. Um, however, it is actually really fun to see Doctor Who playing with just a little bit more money. Uh, as the show is, v the first special was visually very, very, very appealing. The effects were really good. They got a much larger TARDIS set than I think they've ever had on the show. Um, and uh, the the effects, particularly on one of the uh, characters in this special, the Meep, were absolutely awesome. Um, there's a great twist with the character about halfway through the the special. Um, 
and and just the way they they change the appearance of, of the character it's just spoilers here i don't want to talk about but it's just it's so so cool it's very cool to see see tenant in the role again he's a, always been a fantastic um actor for doctor who he has this totally awesome manic energy that is sort of part and parcel of who the doctor is in a lot of incarnations so he he brings that back to the table in a really cool way and the story very simple right so uh the doctor has just regenerated which is when you know he's or he or she um is near death um and his uh, or her whole body body regenerates into a different person, right? With all the memories of the previous versions of the Doctor. Um, in this particular case, though, for some reason, the regeneration from uh, the female Doctor that was most recently in the show uh, to a new version actually ends up being an old version, which is not something that really happens. And so now we have David Tennant, Doctor Who back, and, and the Doctor is very confused about why he looks like this again and isn't a new person for some reason. Uh, he ends up running into one of his previous companions uh, who has a long history with the Doctor and a spaceship crashes in London and the adventure begins. Um, very classic sort of Doctor Who storytelling. But I just have to say, like, the the bump in, in effects budget, uh, the return of Tennant, um, and then just playing around a little bit with some with some new stuff here, I thought was just really, really, really strong. And it gives me great hope for when, once these three specials run, you know, have run their course and Tennant just takes his leave again for a new Doctor, that the show is just going to move from strength to strength again. It's been sort of on a, on a downward slope a little bit, uh, storytelling-wise, in the eyes of a lot of fans. But this felt quintessential Doctor. It's very much a return to form, I think. And I'm very excited to see where it's going from here. So if you've got a Disney Plus subscription, you know, jump in there. Uh, they give you a nice primer at the top of the episode a little bit about the history of the David Tennant version of the Doctor so you don't feel completely lost. And then just immerse yourself in absolutely bonkers sci-fi storytelling. Now, with slightly less wobbly sets and a little bit better CGI. Yeah, of the three that you have campaigned hardest for, this is the one that I enjoyed the most out of between Farscape, Buffy, and Doctor Who. Um, I really was captivated by, uh, it's funny you say that, the manic energy of Chris Eccleston. Because um, I did start with with his season. And I got like five or six episodes in. Um, I got... Um, uh, I, I was completely smitten with Billy Piper. Like, love Rose, love her. Um, I just got sidetracked, and I was super grossed out by the the aliens that like use people as zip up suits. That was pretty gross. <laughs> I, love, I love that so much, pretty and that is so gross. that is so that is so Russell T Davis too. You've got to get that kind of stuff from him sometimes. Yeah. Um, the stretchy skin lady was hilarious. Um, so like this is. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm too overcommittal sometimes. I'm like, yeah, I'll watch this. And then I fall off. But this is something that I, I potentially plan on, on taking the dive. It's, 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 it's just a fun show. I think that's the biggest thing for me is that, um, you know, Doctor Who, it comes it comes to you with these huge ideas, right? Uh, and even if it can't always pull off the effects, they're right there on the screen. These is great, crazy ideas that they're throwing around. It's probably still one of the, the singularly most inventive things going on in science fiction TV, which I've always appreciated about And that's it. something I appreciate. Um, I, I appreciate uncharted territory and something new. Don't just give me the same old tropes. 
Oh, they they are out there, man, and I and I love it for it. I love the show. All right, Chris. So your nerd commendation ought to be interesting this week. Hit me with it. Yeah. So in preparation for the upcoming Disney Plus series, um, I finished the Percy Jackson and the Olympians series. Um, I'm full on into the second series, but I finished this summer and I could not recommend this enough. This is, there's a reason that there is such a passionate fandom. Um, the first two movies, not good, just not good. Um, but, uh, yeah, the books, like, let me tell you, Rick Riordan, man, I know that there are a lot of comparisons to a certain, uh, transphobic, creator of another magical young adult series but let me tell you rick riordan will write circles around that person any day of the week um i have if there's one thing that i'm passionate about when it comes to like history and geography it's mythology it's one of the things that has drawn me to ancient cultures ancient egypt ancient greece rome uh, in Norse mythology, it's just, I love storytelling, um, particularly fascinated with kind of attempts to explain creation and why the way, why things are the way that they are. Um, and just how seamlessly Riordan is able to weave this into everyday life, um, this is this is masterful storytelling when it comes to the medium of a novel. I even even myself listening mostly to audiobooks mm-hmm. of hearing the the inner monologue of a protagonist of a main character, their thoughts, their feelings being valued of kind of and and as someone who's dabbled in writing myself, like seeing some of the best storytelling aspects of how you have, yes, the tried and true trio of heroes, and each of them has something unique to offer to the team, and then kind of playing with that formula and shaking it up. Uh, So you have uh, a six-book series of The Lightning Thief, The Sea of Monsters, The Titan's Curse, Battle of the Labyrinth, The Last Olympian, and The Chalice. Uh, Chalice of the Gods is 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 a recent one, um, and now it is led into the second series where I'm already a book and a half in, and um, it's just a really really fun series that you know with a young adult series as a 35 year old man you're like okay is this the target audience I think I think the best written stories appeal to people regardless of age. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you're kind of transported back to how you were as a kid. Um, and so I cannot recommend this book series enough. If you're like me and you're always on the go, get the audiobooks. They're really well narrated. Um, and just so you can get caught up, because I'm, I'm super excited for this upcoming series on Disney Plus, And I'm, I'm really excited to see where they go with this. And it looks like a much more faithful adaptation than to what the, uh, the movies were. I'm very curious about this. Um, I actually have read that entire other magical series that you um, are referring to, um, you know, prior to this whole uh, anti-trans kerfuffle stuff going on. And I'm using that word a lot today, kerfuffle. I don't know where that's coming from. Um, at least I'm cu- at least I'm aware of it. So um, anyways, so uh, at the time I was kind of magic 
child it out and didn't really feel like jumping into another series like that. I tried, you know, the first couple chapters of the first book, I think, uh, Lightning Thief, I think it is. Um, and I just, I, like I said, I was kind of magic children out. <laughs> so now that I have, you know, a lot of distance from that kind of storytelling, and I've not looked at uh, young adult stuff in a couple of years. Maybe it's time for me to just punt back and give this one another look. Um, because you definitely have a glowing recommendation there. And it, and I know it takes a lot to impress you, so I might have to give this a shot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, that wraps up episode 174 of the Nerd by Word. What are your thoughts and feelings on Ultimate Spider-Man, where they're headed, what they're going to do? Um, be sure to hit us up uh, and like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or nerdbyword.com. And get your toxic butts over to uh, your nearest social media platform uh, and let us know what you thought of the episode uh, and what you would improve and what your opinion is of all these various different things that we've been talking about today. You can find us indiv- uh, individually at That Nerd Dave and at That Nerd Chris and uh, also at Nerd by Word. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd By Word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.